Thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing in this community. We thank you for what you're doing in this city, in this region and beyond. You're so good, God. And you've got good things in store, Father. And even as we might look out into the world and see things happening that don't reflect your kingdom, we thank you that your kingdom is advancing. We thank you that the gates of hell will not prevail against the advancement of your kingdom. But we thank you also, Lord, that you are awakening the bride of Christ in this season and in this hour to take her rightful place as, as, a, as a governmental body over the spiritual realm, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your good plans, your good strategies, and that you're inviting us into that journey in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. So we are in 40 days of breakthrough. It starts today. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Again, I feel like, I feel like you're holding back, guys. I feel like you're the woohoos and the amens and the yeah, let's do this is holding back. And maybe for some of you, it might be the word prayer or the word fasting might make you go, <gasps> it's okay. No one is going to starve you of food. No one's going to force you to do anything. This is invitational. Amen? Amen. Fasting is less about what you are denying yourself. It's less about what you're taking away and more about what you're intentionally investing into. Yeah, so that's what it is. It's simply a, a fasting is simply a removal of something that that sense of where we can sustain ourselves with food, with drink, and so we say, I'm going to actually put my sustaining need upon the Lord, and I'm going to shift my focus and my attention to meeting my own needs, to meeting the needs of God and others out there. So it's a really helpful thing to do. Uh, we'll, we'll explain some of the practicalities of that, but essentially we're looking at. Prayer and fasting to move mountains. So this is the seven mountain kind of mandate or concept or idea. Has anyone ever heard of the seven mountains? The seven mountains of societal influence, okay? If you don't, I'll give you a quick rundown. So the history is, uh, in 1975, so a guy called Bill Bright, who was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, and Lauren Cunningham, who was the founder of uh, Youth with a Mission, so still those uh, organizations exist today. So they developed this God-given, world-changing strategy. So it was like a, a Holy Spirit kind of download that God gave to them. But essentially, it was to bring godly change to a nation by reaching its seven spheres or mountains of societal influence. So they, they felt like God kind of downloaded that there's seven areas in society, seven uh, spheres of influence that impact the everyday lives of people. And unless we are intentionally pursuing those different areas, uh, we might see God come to the education sphere, but then we've got we might have a, a corrupt government that isn't following godly ways. And so we need to keep our attention focused on all of these areas. So these seven um, mountains include religion, family, education, government, media, arts and entertainment, and business. So those are the seven mountains. So we, we, that's the kind of those areas that need to be reached with the gospel of the kingdom of God, those areas that need to be influenced and impacted. Uh, again, I think probably more recently, the focus and the attention of the church has been on impacting the religion mountain. It's kind of we're stuck to that mountain. 
the church's role isn't to be any of those mountains. It's actually to influence all of the mountains. Uh, it's to actually be the foundation under every mountain. That is what Jesus laid, is this foundation of Christ and his perspective, his desires, his goal, his dream that would then filter up as the leaven of the kingdom spreads into every sphere of society. But I think the church has focused a lot of its attention on being the right spiritual pathway for people. So instead of there being, oh no, it's not the other religions, you know, Jesus and Christianity is the right religion. So we've tried to dominate the religion mountain, but, it, but without focusing on all of the other mountains, the culture of the world has become less godly. So if someone is spiritual and they come across and they like might reason, oh yes, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life and Christianity is real and that's good, but they live in a society where the media is promoting things that are opposed to Christ and the education system is, is teaching children things that are opposed to the knowledge of God and the government is maybe leading in ways that aren't reflecting the nature of heaven in, in the decisions that they make. In all of these different spheres, we're seeing culture being impacted and intentionally impacted by people and intentionally being impacted by the kingdom of darkness. So as we look around and we think, oh no, what is going on with society? What is going on in the, in the education sphere, in the media? I said, what's all of this ungodliness that's happening? And un unfortunately, I think oftentimes the church has then withdrawn and either just withdrawn into the religion mountain or withdrawn really from society completely. And because the church hasn't been doing its job as being kingdom ambassadors, influencing and impacting the nations and all of these different spheres of society, we've seen them continually become more and more ungodly. So whose fault is it that the world is in a more ungodly state than it was a few generations ago? Ours. Maybe fault's not the right word. Responsibility. <laughs> I like the word responsibility because it... it essentially contains, I have the ability to respond. So if you are responsible, you are able to respond. And the church is able to respond to everything that's happening in society, but we just need to be intentionally strategic about doing so. It's not going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen by filling church buildings every Sunday. We could become the top of the religion mountain. The number Yes, we could become the number one religion in the world, and yet the world is going to hell. So we don't want that. We want everything to be impacted by the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to oppose the other religions that existed. He came to oppose and bring in the kingdom of heaven into every kingdom sphere that existed because there are kingdoms that, are, that exist in the world. Jesus... It, uh, Revelation 11:15 it says the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there was a loud voice in heaven saying the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever that is the outcome that is what's coming is that the time will come when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of Jesus where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord but we're not sitting around going oh, Really looking forward to the time that you do that, Jesus. And Jesus sitting around going, I'm really looking forward to you guys getting off your backside and doing what I told you to do 2,000 years ago. Like, to be honest, that's, we have been given the commission. Jesus' work is finished. That's what he said on the cross. It is finished. My work here is done. Here you go. All authority has been given to me. 
Go, therefore, the great commission. Now, Jesus is with us. The Holy Spirit is all by his presence and by his power. It's Jesus' authority, but we are the ones who are carrying that mission out into the world. It's exciting. I get excited about my life having a positive impact on the world around me. And again, as I've said before, this does raise the question of what is our eschatology, which means that's the study of the end times. What is our perspective on what is going to be happening in the future? If my end times perspective is, oh, things are going to get worse and there's wars and rumors of wars and the darkness is going to increase on the earth. And so, yeah, I've just got to fill my bunker with supplies and, and lockdown. I've just got to make sure that my family is, is okay and I want to get involved in society. I'm going to withdraw and withdraw and withdraw. That is the gates of hell prevailing over the kingdom. That's what the, gate, that's what the gates of hell prevailing over the kingdom looks like. That is the opposite of the promise that Jesus declared. He said, no, no, the gates of hell will not prevail against my expanding ecclesia, my church, my bride in the world. But it does mean that okay, I've got to shift my perspective. Now, might things get darker? Absolutely. But you know what happens in darkness? The light shines brighter. <laughs> so they say, awesome, the darker it gets, the easier it's going to be for me to come in with the light of Jesus because it's going to be so apparent, so exposing, so revealing that things are going to shift and things are going to change. So I don't fear, I don't get concerned about where society is going. I don't get concerned even sometimes where, when the church is shrinking because I think sometimes, you know what, I think the church could probably lose a bit of weight. That's it, we'll do it, here we go. 40 days of fasting will do it for you. Um, you know, we could probably trim some fat. We're probably doing a whole lot of stuff that isn't necessarily advancing the kingdom of God. And yet that is the, the commission that Jesus gave to us. That's just the desire and the prayer that he set as a model for his disciples in the Lord's Prayer. My kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we would pray that regularly. God, your, that your kingdom would come, that your will, your desire would be done on earth in the same way that it is in heaven. So this whole concept of the seven mountains is a strategy for understanding how to extend God's kingdom through cultural transformation. As I was praying before, when heaven comes to earth, it looks like something. It looks like something. It's not this kind of ethereal out there or just, it just kind of happens spiritually, but you don't really know about it. No, it has a tangible impact, a tangible manifestation. When Jesus said, my kingdom is at hand, repent for my kingdom is at hand, which means change your paradigm of thinking, change your way of understanding. Metanoia means to change the mind. Okay? So be transformed in your mind that you might be able to perceive that the reality of the kingdom of heaven is right before you. But not only did he say it's this kind of spiritual concept, but then he demonstrated what that looked like. Signs, wonders, miracles, healing, breakthrough, people getting raised from the dead. So if we say, well, the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom is coming and I'm an ambassador for God's kingdom, then signs and wonders should follow those who believe. I think it says that even somewhere maybe in the book of Mark, right at the end, the last kind of thing that is said there. It looks more like more than just churches filled with people each Sunday. 
Is it wonderful to have churches filled with people absolutely worshiping God, giving him that place of primacy in their hearts, in their lives, in their minds, and declaring that God achieves things through when we gather corporately, when there's unity, God commands a blessing. So much good stuff happens. I've never been a like, hey, no, we need to stop doing Sundays and just be out there in the world. I think there's a really valuable place for people to be equipped, to be trained up, and to be sent out into the world. Okay? Sometimes we need to come back to the well just to get refreshed. It's all good stuff that can happen. But if that is the thing, and then we're spending all of our time outside of that, just going, well, I'm just waiting to come back around the mountain to that, to that Sunday time. We're missing out on so much, and we are diminishing the opportunity for God's kingdom to impact the world. We want to be a 24-7 people. 24-7, loving God, following God, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, worshiping Him, not just through song when we sing out, but every part of our being. That is Romans 12. So your body, you know, you, as a living sacrifice, that's your spiritual act of worship. Lay down lovers for God, putting yourself on the altar. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, the Apostle Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life now that I now live, I live for Jesus. Like every part of my life, I live for Jesus. I might be going to work tomorrow and I go to work living for Jesus. I might be looking after kids tomorrow and I look after my kids for Jesus. Everything that we do is for Him. But the desire is that every sphere of society would be shaped to look like heaven. And again, it's really important that it's not about Christianizing everything. It's not about putting your, you know, your Christian fish symbol on, on the logo or something or, or whatever. It's like, okay, yes, we'll, we'll overtake the media sphere and there'll only be Christian movies at the cinemas and only be Christian movies on TV. And that would be a way to make me never go to the movies again. Because to be honest, Christian films aren't that great. But see, this is the way where the church has tried to counterfeit worldly things. The devil counterfeits, but then the church takes on the same strategies as the devil to try and counterfeit that which exists, and then it does like a, a, a lesser job of it. What we need is great, amazing people, but not just to do Christian things, but to influence and impact every sphere with the kingdom of heaven, the values of heaven, and it might not have the Jesus label attached to it, but it looks like heaven. It smells like heaven. It sounds like heaven. That is the process that Jesus said the kingdom will expand. It is like leaven. When you, when you knead leaven into dough, all of a sudden that whole piece of dough becomes filled with that leaven. And you can't separate out the leaven. It just, it just looks like a dough that increases. That's what we're supposed to be doing as the leaven of heaven out in every sphere of society. Just trickling out the culture of heaven in everything that we do. Praying, blessing, serving, leading, loving, healing, restoring, seeking the goodness of God and the welfare of other people. As we do that in every place, the, the leaven of heaven starts to come. And then a generation passes or a few generations passes and people look back and go, man, every place just looks a little more like heaven. Whereas at the moment you'd look around and go, this looks less and less like heaven every day. So the mountains are, are, are being formed by those who oppose Jesus. And we say, well, we need to take back the reins. We need to take back that authority. It doesn't look like conquest. It doesn't look like domination. 
It just looks like us being Christ in every place that God gives us dominion, gives us authority, gives us a sphere of influence and impact. It's still following the ways of Jesus. It's not standing up and then saying, hey, government, you need to listen to us because we're an authority now. And they'll say, but no, you're not. (laughs) Because now you're just trying to claim something that you haven't done any work for. So again, we say, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, but unless I'm exercising that authority, then it doesn't have an impact. All right, so we are ambassadors for Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20 says, All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's reconciling the world to God. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We have been given this ministry of reconciliation, the church, you and I, each one of us. Put your hand up if you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Hallelujah. Amen. So now that looks like something. I've been given a ministry. Maybe you're sitting there wondering, I just don't know what my ministry is. Bang, every single one of you, you just received it. Your ministry calling is to be a reconciler, to reconcile people back to God, to reconcile culture back to God, to reconcile all things back to God, because he is in the, in the season of restoring all things back to himself. So an ambassador represents their nation in the midst of another nation. So when you go like to an embassy or, or when somebody is sent as an ambassador, they're representing their home country as they go to another country. So as you are an ambassador for Christ, your home is heaven. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places, but you are going out into the world representing the one who has sent you. In the book of John, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So we've been sent out. We have been apostled. You are an apostolic people because you belong to Christ and he is the chief apostle. And to be apostle means to be sent out as an ambassador on behalf of the one who sent you to enculturate wherever you are with the culture of heaven. We are ambassadors for heaven. Even though we live on earth, we are not of this world. John 17, 14, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This is your calling. This is your part of your identity as a Christian is to live as a sent one out in the world, wherever you go. And to understand that an ambassador is a governmental position. It's a governmental position. We need to understand that God has positioned us with governmental authority. That is what the ecclesia, the word that is translated church, isn't the Sunday gathering. I know that's become culturally normal to say, oh, I'm going to church on a Sunday. It's, it, it doesn't have a grammatical alignment with the scripture. It's just a cult, it's Christian culture, okay? The word ecclesia is a governmental word. It was taken from Roman culture, 
where they understood that the ecclesia, or what we would translate is the church, was the, the governing body of a particular region. So as Jesus borrows that, he says to Peter, you know, you are the rock, and on this rock I will build my ecclesia. It means that governmental authority has been placed upon you and is going to increase, and the church will stand in that position to determine what happens and what doesn't happen in society and culture. That's the position that we've been given. Isaiah 9, 6 to 7 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The government will be on his shoulders and there will be no stopping the increase of his government. So Jesus fulfills this word when he prophesies over Peter that his church has just been established in that moment and it's going to increase and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's no stopping the advancement of his kingdom. But you notice that Jesus didn't say, hey, Peter, over here, I'm going to build my church. He says, no, no, upon you, upon a person, upon a people, upon a, a bride, he's going to build that thing. And he invites us to participate in that. But to understand that we have spiritual governing authority. Now, I'm not saying that you can go out and just declare whatever you want and determine whatever you want. It's in alignment with God's heart, but also with his timing and his strategy. So we need to be listening to the Holy Spirit. We need to be exercising wisdom. We don't just go out there and just declaring this and that and whatever, because then it can become our heart's desire being done. Or we can maybe even speak like some of the disciples did, and we start cutting off people's ears or calling down you know, fire and brimstone and burning sulfur on people. It's like, hey, hey. I mean, even in that scripture in Isaiah, it's like, the zeal of the Lord will do it, not your zealousness to determine, oh, I think this should happen and I hate this thing, so I'm going to declare that that be torn down. It's like, no, no, we listen to, to God. What are, you, what are you saying, Holy Spirit? What is your desire? And most of the time, again, where there's this increase of his peace, the increase of his government and peace, so we walk in peace, we declare peace, we declare blessing, we declare increase of what God is doing. Now, if God calls us to tear down, we, we do that in obedience to him. But we want to see building, not tearing down. And as the kingdom increases and advances, it naturally will overcome all, all other places. So as the church, we need to understand our role as cultural architects, as cultural transformers, and it says that it's upon us. It's the call of God upon us to do that. And our expectation should be a manifestation of the reality of Jesus' kingdom in our midst. We should be expectant that we should see tangible and measurable change in our families, in our neighborhoods, and in our cities through this time. Now, we're just saying we're going to take 40 days to intentionally pursue this. Hopefully that's enough time that it becomes a habit, becomes a deeply formed understanding. This isn't something that should last 40 days. This is something that should last to the end of your days. 
this intentionality that I would seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, that I would seek to be an ambassador of heaven. Like I've just read a whole bunch of scriptures. I don't know any other way to, to translate them apart from what it's saying. So okay, we need to take this on board. But our hope is that over this next 40 days, it'll start to form a habit to say, yeah, I'm, I need to keep my mind and my understanding. I need to, when I drive past a primary school, I'm going to think differently about that school. Not just, oh, is it 2.30? Between 2.30 and 4, better slow down. <laughs> I'm going to think, Father, what, what do you have to, to pray over that school? Even as I drive past in the, in the 15 seconds that I'm passing this school, Father, I just declare blessing over that primary school. I declare the righteousness of Christ over, over every teacher that you'll shift their mindsets to, to fall in love with you. I bless every Christian teacher in that school, Lord, that they would have a, a voice and, and understand their position to impact the culture of the school. Bang, and I'm past. And then I drive past the police station. Well, Father, we just declare righteousness and, and safety and peace over every police officer and that they would stand for righteousness, Lord, and, and that you would uh, tear down every uh, structure of corruption in the police force. And I drive, oh, cool, cool, and I'm driving. Do you see how that could shift even just your drive to work? I bless that person who's driving so slowly in the right-hand lane on the freeway, Lord. <laughs> But see, that's just a, that's called repentance. We think repentance is, oh, I've done a bad thing, better go and repent. No, repentance is, is, a, is a shifting of the whole way that you think about life, about God, about the world. That's what repentance looks like. So this is, I mean, we could have called this 40 days of repentance. Um, but that's what it is. So every day, that's right, I could think differently about my drive to work. I can think differently about when I'm at work and, and how I'm interacting with people. That there's opportunity here that God could break into this place and bring transformation and change. But if I'm not praying, if I'm not acting, if I'm not being obedient, then God's sitting around waiting for me to do what I've been called to do. But it means I need to listen. It means I need to be intentional about what I'm focusing on how I'm spending my time, how I'm tuning my thought life. You see how those little nuanced differences help to actually shape the kind of impact that we could have. To understand that our prayers are powerful, that things change when we pray. When Jesus proclaimed that the kingdom of heaven is near, as I said before, he backed it up. He backed up his claims with kingdom and tangible demonstration, sorry, of the reality of the presence of God's kingdom, which is his presence manifesting. When the presence of God comes, things change. People change, cultures change, atmospheres change. So that is our desire, that as we spend this next 40 days just intentionally looking at, so each day of the week, it'll be a different mountain that we're going to focus on. Okay, um, Nicole's put together different like scriptures that we can be praying through, diff some different prayer points. It'll change each week, but we're going to spend this first week. So today is on the mountain of religion, and so it'll just be intentionally praying into that space. Sit more. Oh, I just. <laughs> I would say twenty years of preaching. I don't know if I've ever snorted before. <laughs> I, I want, is there something prophetic in that? Someone can tell me later. <laughs> there you go. Talking about the spirit of religion. <laughs> um, a, sort of Peppa Pig reference. I don't know. There's something in there. 
So we'll, we'll focus on a different mountain sphere. We're going to send out, we've put together little stuff like for Instagram. If you're on the app, you'll get updates. Uh, we're going to hopefully do some like live videos each day where you can just jump in, join in, pray. We want to we wanna equip you and give you as, as much kind of structure to make it easier, but also just to put it on your agenda. I know for me sometimes, Sunday, great, amazing, awesome, great sermon, great revelation, great. You wake up Monday morning and you're just back into your routine, back into the norm. And you can forget about stuff. So we are going to bombard you, if you so desire, uh, with, uh, with that content to kind of keep it on the agenda of what God's doing in this next 40 days. Amen? So uh, as part of that, again, you choose how much you want to pray. You choose how much you want to fast. You might pick a day of the week where you say, I just have a real heart and a real passion for the media sphere or the education sphere or the, or the family mountain. And on that day, that's when I'm going to really intentionally fast and pray for that. You could pick a different one each week. Uh, you could do multiple days. You could do the whole 40 days if you so desire. But it's really, we're not, we're not going to tell you what you need to do or what you should do. We're just putting that before you to say. And again, fasting is about, uh, it's not so much about what you're giving up. It's about what you're giving your attention to. And I can tell you, as soon as you choose to fast on that day, you will become so aware of food like you never have before. I love food, but I really love food when I'm fasting. <laughs> but it's good to because it, 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 you understand bodily hunger that it would create a spiritual hunger for you and a desire to say, well, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to utilize this to press into you. Amen? Yeah. Is there any other things we need to let them know? Cool, that's what we're doing. Hey, I just want to read to you Isaiah 58. And this speaks of true and false fasting. So it says, Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. It says, Yet they seek me daily, and they delight to know my ways. That's a good thing. As if there were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments, they delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? And he says, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? And then he says, Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he'll say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. 
And the Lord will continually satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose, whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. God outlines in this passage from Isaiah 58. Again, it's not so much fasting isn't about you becoming more spiritual, about you looking more humble. God's saying, no, there's an action point to your fast, that you'll go out and actually seek the welfare of the city that you live in that you would look outside of yourselves and see how can we be a blessing. And God's like, if you, if you choose that kind of lifestyle, that perspective, then my light is going to break forth. We're going to see streets restored to dwell in. We're going to see wickedness come down and righteousness raise up. So again, part of what we're doing is we're, we're focusing our attention on blessing the spheres of society around us. This is not an us thing. This is a God thing, a kingdom thing, and it's a, and it's a, it's a world impact type thing. Okay, so to understand, it's like, am, are you willing to cost yourself for the sake of others? Are you willing to go without food that somebody else might have food in their belly or freedom from addiction or affliction or reconciliation in their household or their family or that, that abuse would cease in that situation? That's what we're stepping into for the next 40 days. Amen? Amen. Awesome.